Hi, welcome to Aspen Chapel and our podcast on today, Sunday, the 5th of February. And today's the third in our series on getting the message out. And the title of the talk today is, There Are No Others. Do you know, look out and just think what a privilege it is that we can gather together as a community to really look at these things that we do together, to consider them together and to support each other. And it. it's just an amazing thing to to have that. And it's just so valuable you know, every week to come along and to see you here and to, to you know, participate with you in this way. It, it's an amazing thing, really. But this, anyway, is the third in our series uh, about getting the message out. Um, and you may, if you miss either of the other two, um, you can find them on the podcasts on our website or uh, in our weekly emails. Um, and they do fit together. Um, those podcasts are readily available. And we, as I said a couple of weeks ago, we reckon about 70 people access the service every week through those sort of methods. So do feel free to do that. In the first week, I said that I thought that uh, the message we have to offer here in the chapel has two aspects, uh, one internal and one external. That's, you know, that's what we're communicating, hopefully. And it's these virtues, I think, that I'm gonna, we've been talking about that I think the chapel have been developing and propounding over the last 50 years. Um, the first is the, the lesson of meeting anger, fear, pride, hatred, all those forms of pain, of meeting them with love. That we personally take what the world offers us, even the pain, and whatever happens, we respond with love. And that's really lesson one. That, that's the lesson of the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We, we talked about last week it being emotional photosynthesis, taking the heat of those negative emotions and turning them into love. And I talked about that last week under the heading of integral virtue. And this week, I want to talk really about the message of inclusion. Um, the theme today uh, there are no others, refers to an old guru story that I mentioned a couple of times when uh, the guru is asked how we should treat others. And she responds by saying, there are no others. Uh, the recognition that we're all connected, that our neighbor's problem is our problem. That if we don't help them sort out their problems, then the result of those problems will be visited upon us. And I think that applies to individuals, to communities, and to countries. It's the answer to all the problems that we're facing with globalization, I think. We share the problems, we solve them together, because, you know, we are really one consciousness. And that's the consciousness, that one conscious, that will enable us to solve the problems created by a me-first consciousness that's been so prevalent since the Enlightenment. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been following readings from Lao Tzu's Hua Hu Ching, which is really the follow-up to the Tao Te Ching, which was written two and a half thousand years ago. And here's today's reading, which follows on directly from last week's Didi. Well, I'm reminded of another guru story. He goes up to the hot dog stand... And the guy says, well, how do you want your hot dog? And he says, make mine one with everything. <laughs> so, I hope the 
television presenter tell that to the Dalai Lama? <laughs> and the Dalai Lama didn't get the joke. And this <laughs> in fact, he was trying to explain it to the Dalai Lama. It's very funny. I remember that. <laughs> well, he's on another planet. He is on another planet, that's right, yes. <laughs> So the reading is from the Hua Hu Ching. I think it's an incredible thing to realize that this was from 500 years B.C. Each small particle is an entire world in itself. The worlds are the conjoint movement of small particles. There's no real difference between small particles and the vast world but they are differently named because of the relative concepts of small and vast. The world and the particles are not separate, isolated things. The particles could be gathered to become the world, and the world could be dispersed to become particles. One small particle contains the nature of the world. And the world contains the nature of each small particle. The nature of each is the same. Thus, although they are not one and the same, neither are they different. If one is attached to names, however, one can never achieve a clear, direct perception of the integral truth of things. Each small particle is a world of matter. At the same time, it is a world of spirituality. It possesses both spirituality and materiality. Likewise, every event is a conjoint entity of many different elements. In reality, each conjoint entity is not an isolated single event, but is only regarded and named as such. The apparently single event is a variation and segment of the great whole. The great whole is the combination of all single events. The single events contain the life experience of the whole. And the great whole contains the life substance of the single events and vice versa. Thus, in reality, there is no discrimination between single events and the great whole. Both are equal. Everything in the universe is equal. The great equality of reality comprises the subtle cosmic body of the integral one. However, the direct perception of this oneness is blocked by established mental concepts which separate us from the truth of integral being. Heaven is our Father, and earth is our mother. All living things are our brothers and sisters, and we must respect and be at peace with all of the various forms of life, no matter how different they may appear. Thanks, Dee Dee. And it is amazing that was written two and a half thousand years ago, really, isn't it, when you think about it? And just, there's so much in it. You've, got, you've really got to keep, you can't not concentrate when you listen to something like that. you just got to say, and, but if you do stay with it, it's completely worth it because it just unpacks it. When we think of interconnectedness, 
I think we're struck with a paradox. On the one hand, we intellectually know that everything is dependent on everything else. We intellectually know that. You know, I breathe oxygen. <gasps> oxygen is produced by trees. Trees need water to grow. Water comes from the environment. The environment is the sun. And, you know, you can, you know it's, it, it, it's sort of interconnected. We know that. But then we think of it from the perspective of our experience. You know, I am separate from you. I need food to live. My family needs food. I'm in competition with you for the food that's available. My community is in competition with other communities for jobs and resources with which to create food. My country is in competition with other countries for everything it needs. And so we band together to get what we need. That's the paradox. You know, we did an experiment. We had, Tuesday schools, the uh, after-school program we have here in uh, um, uh, at the Aspen Chapel, and we're doing developing consciousness for kids at the moment. And we looked last week at the nature of interconnectedness. And what I did is I put 200 chocolates in, a, in, a, in the floor, and I got all the children to go outside and brought the first five in. I said, this is for everybody. Take what you want. <laughs> and there were about sort of eight chocolates left, you know. And then the second group of five came in. I said, this is for everybody. Take what you want. You know, everything went. So by the 10th child, and there were 25 children, 20 children in the room, there was nothing left. They came in. They were very disappointed indeed. And really, you know, that's the way the world works at the moment. You know, there genuinely is enough to go around in the world. I think we can all acknowledge that. You know, there genuinely is enough to go round. But because of the fear of me not getting mine, people are left without. So the paradox is knowing that we're interconnected, but that we all need to compete so that we can stay alive. That's the difficulty, really. Now, this reading, for me, puts interconnectedness in a whole new light. It takes us beyond just that idea of interdependence and also some amorphous spiritual LSD experience that we're all one. It takes us from those things, I think, to a different place. You know, when you look up into the heavens at night, you see the vastness of space. And it's humbling. And what Lao Tzu is saying is that this vastness of space with all the planets and everything that's up there and the solar system is really a reflection of the smallness of microspace. So you've got macrospace, which is everything out there, and you've got microspace, which is everything else, and we're sort of in between, but in between the two. Everything around us is made up of molecules and electrons and atoms. And this is simply space with a different order of magnitude. You know, we know from science that this lectern is pretty much made up of space. You know, inside the molecules and the lecterns, this is pretty much space. As is Didi. DD is pretty much space, you know, when made up of all those things. And that's what 
you know, goes on to make up a solid object, you know, it's the fact, is, is the space between the molecules. That's what makes it solid. It says in that reading, each p- small particle is an entire world in itself. The worlds are the conjoint movement of small particles. And there is no real difference, he's saying, between small particles and the vast world. But they are, he says, differently named because of the relative concepts of small and vast. And really, that's our understanding of science today. Although it was written 500 years BC. And he goes further. He says that all the small particles go up go to make up those vast worlds. And so without those small particles, the big worlds wouldn't exist. It's just a function of relative space. That the entire ocean, as we know, is reflected in one drop, and each small particle contains the nature of the world. They are not one and the same. However, he says, neither are they different. It's only when we try and name them that we lose that connection with the whole. That in fact, these particles are part of the world of matter and the world of the spiritual. They are both spiritual and material. The spiritual brings them together, the material holds them together. And then he goes on to say as well that all events are the same. So not only particles, but events are equal. That no one event is just the summation of a number of other events. That one event is, he says, that one event is a summation of all the other events. And like the vastness and smallness of space, so we have events that seem isolated, but in fact they are part of a greater whole. So events and particles are part of a greater whole, and yet they have their own individuality. And those single events contain the life experience of the whole. So one cannot really discriminate between the vastness of planets you can get this, and the smallness of molecules. And we cannot really discriminate either between single events and the greater whole. All of it is of an equalness. Everything, and I think this is so interesting, everything in the universe is equal. The great equality of reality comprises the subtle cosmic body of the universal soul, or the integral one. The whole thing has a oneness to it, whether it is vast or whether it is small. And I think this is an important bit, and it comes back to our paradox. Our perception of this oneness is blocked by our established mental concepts, which separate us from that truth of the integral being. You know, we name something, we say, I, thou, we say, I am me, and that is that. And as a result, we create separation between us and that whole. Our minds cloud over to the individual wants and desires and need to survive. And we fail to see the true oneness of the nature of reality because we become become partial. We name things as how we see them and we discriminate and our view becomes partial. When in fact, it is all one seamless whole. The whole thing from the vastness of the space to the tiniest molecule in DD is one seamless whole of individual molecules, particles, and events. And it's the ego which begins to question as to what is the same and what is different. And our ego then blinds us to seeing the reality of the whole that we're part of. And the mind decides what is partial 
and what is different, what is the same and what is different. Because we are all part of that whole cosmos. And that the word cosmos means that which is ordered. And we know there's an orderedness in life because we are here and we exist. And we wouldn't if there wasn't an orderedness. And we know there is an orderedness in the cosmos. I've said this before, but the carbon atoms in you are the same carbon atoms that were in the Big Bang. You know, they became rocks, then life, then plants, then animals, and then you. We are the universe made conscious of itself. We are a tiny bit that can become conscious of the vastness and the smallness. And and we just happen to be in this bit here. We see ourselves as part of the universe. And what separates us from being that whole, being that universal soul, is our minds or our egos that want to label, that want to judge, and that want to separate. When in reality, there is no separation. It is only the naming that creates the separation. And that is true of events. It is true of things. It is true of everything. It is the naming that creates a separation. So in reality, there are no others. In reality, we are all part of that same whole. We are all part of an independent whole that is both vast and tiny, that is made up of individual events and also huge events, that to try to name what is big and what is small is futile because what is big and what is small is simply relative to our perception. Everything is relative to our perception. Events, people, it's all relative to our perception, which is just our perception and nothing more. There is no value in our perception. It is just our perception. And so this is true of events, big or small, and people, whoever they are and wherever they're from, it is all equal unless our ego says it's not. And the moment we say it's not, then the separation is created. I'm not keen on wacky theories, but there is one wacky theory that I do like to to repeat, uh, which you one shouldn't do, and some of you may have heard it before. But I love this idea that in order to become human beings you know, from the Neanderthal to the point where you can self-reflect. They say that in order to be self-reflective as a, you know, as a human being, and I was not a dog or something like that, in order to be self-reflective, you have to have in your brain six billion neurons. And when the six billionth approximate neuron appears, you go, ding, and you suddenly become aware, oh, I'm, uh, I'm aware of myself. And the thing is interesting now that in the world, we've got to the point suddenly where there are more than six billion people in the world. And it's almost as if, you know, with that arrival of that sixth billionth, we're coming, becoming aware of our wholeness, of our individual identity. We're becoming aware of ourselves as a planetary identity. You have that amazing paragraph in that, that book, which says, uh, in that reading, which says, and I love this, you know, Heaven is our father. Earth is our mother. All living things are our brothers and sisters. I mean, isn't that just amazing? All living, very Franciscan, all living things are our brothers and our sisters. We must respect and be at peace with all the various forms of life, no matter how different they appear. We must be at peace and respect all the various forms of life, no matter how different they appear. And that is where we get to the amazing idea that there are no others, that we are all on the same side. 
us, our community, our state, our country, other countries, our entire planet. I always think it seems to me such a shame that we have to wait for an alien invasion or some huge global disaster to happen before we, be- we come together and realize that we are a community and that we have to solve each other's problems as well as our own. You know, the poverty and pollution in China is just as much a problem for the U.S. as unemployment and wage disparity in the U.S. is a problem for China. And for us to come to terms with this, there has to be a a shift in a way that we see the world. You know, a shift in consciousness. And and that's what what will affect things, a shift in consciousness. The universe, as I said, is 13.7 billion years old. Humanity is considerably less old. And this change in consciousness, I think, will take time and will not necessarily be pretty or smooth. You know, as I said before, there is no smooth transition of power when it comes to evolution. It just happens. Globalization, I think, is not an exact science. It doesn't happen all at once. You know, it began with television, the global village, where we began to see into each other's backyards. Economics followed with the rise of the corporation and the worldwide movement of jobs and raw materials. And the internet really set the seal on the deal and made sure that there's no going back by enabling mass communication on a micro and a macro level. And the next step will be a change in global consciousness. And that's surely something that we can celebrate. And it is coming. You know, it's happening. It's here right now, whether we fight it or not. It is absolutely here. Our second value here at the Aspen Chapel is that there are no others. That we are all part of one whole. And to name this as otherwise is mistaken and leads to a partial view of the world. Heaven is our father, earth is our mother, all living things are our brothers and sisters. We must respect and be at peace with all the various forms of life, no matter how different they may appear. If we're all cut from the same block, then there is fundamentally nothing to be afraid of. And all fear, this is interesting, all fear is based on the illusion of separation. All fear is based on the illusion of separation. That's not to say that we shouldn't fear the madman coming towards us with a knife. Oh, no, it's not here. You know, I'm not separate from you. Mm. You know, of course we should. It's just no, we must know that the reason the man is coming towards us is based on an illusion, on his illusion. He has an illusion, the illusion of separation. The answer to the problem is fundamentally one of education and compassion. The answer to the problem is one of education and compassion. Education to draw out the natural wisdom from that person. Interesting enough, the word education comes from the Latin word educare, which means to draw out. It's not pushing stuff in. It is to draw out. That's where education comes from. And compassion to realize that the cause of this person's illusions is probably seated in something that we have some responsibility for. That is the compassion. Because we're not fundamentally separate from him. He is part of the same whole that we are part of. If we all come from the same consciousness, if we are all fundamentally different aspects of the same universal soul, if we all share the infinite resources that this soul has to offer, 
then there is enough of everything for everybody. And that's the foundation behind this message of inclusion that we've been developing in the chapel and other people have over the last 50 years. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that reading from Jeremiah. Always good to thump and read from Jeremiah. But this is good. This is what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Earth, the planet. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. If you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. So true. Always the emphasis on humility and compassion as the way forward. That is the second message of, of uh, what we have at the Aspen Chapel. And next week, uh, when we've got Hans Vets here, we're going to look at the nature of education and the nature of compassion as the, the elements that we need to actually, in a sense, bridge that gap. Uh, between what we fear and the separation and, and bring that wholeness. Let's pray. We pray for our whole world at the moment.